I just want to say again how great it is to be back here in person with you guys. Uh, if you can remember way back, I don't know if you can remember this far, to late April and early May, when we were meeting online, and we started for a few weeks looking at the book of Proverbs. And we've obviously taken a break from that series the past few weeks, but today we're going to be back in Proverbs, uh, picking up where we left off. And Proverbs is different than a lot of Bible books. It doesn't tell a story. It doesn't, it's not a letter written by one of the apostles to tell people about how, like the things that Jesus has done. It's actually a collection of mostly short sayings and observations about how the world works. Unlike much of the Bible that has promises of God for us and, and facts about God, most of Proverbs is general rules about the way life works most of the time. Some of them have exceptions. Proverbs, it's, it's teachings. Sorry, my microphone is not working properly. Hopefully that's okay. Proverbs is teachings that was originally collected by a father to be passed on to his son with the goal that it would teach the son how to live wisely. And wisdom, it's not just knowledge, it's skill for living properly. It's taking all the things you know intellectually about how the world works and putting them into practice in real life in a productive and positive way. So Proverbs, it has teachings about lots of topics in life that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And one of the major topics that Proverbs talks about is work. Because work is a huge part of the life of every person who has ever lived on this planet. So if we want to have lives that are lived wisely and skillfully, we, we need to know how to work properly. So today we're looking at work. And as people who live in 2022 Hong Kong, understanding God's plan and calling for work is really important, maybe even more important than in other places in the world or generations before us. You know, there was a UK study done a couple of years ago. They found that losing a job has a greater negative impact on long-term well-being for the average person in today's world than death of a spouse or divorce. If you get fired or laid off from your job and you're an average person in today's world, that will be more devastating for you long-term than if your spouse were to just have a heart attack right now and drop dead. That's shocking, right? Or maybe it's not that shocking. Maybe we just expect that that's normal and that's the way the world should be because that's just the cultural era we live in. And that's the world in general, but we all know Hong Kong is that on steroids. Like there have been studies over studies done the past several years that show over and over, Hong Kong has the longest work week of anywhere in the world. Hong Kongers work more hours than people in any other city. In 2020, there was a website that ranked Hong Kong as the world's most overworked city. Hong Kongers love their work. And it's not just working professionals who are overworked here. Think about the average eight-year-old in Hong Kong who goes to school and then gets out of school and has their extracurricular activities and then has to go straight from extracurriculars to piano lessons and then to tutoring and then come home and do their homework. And man, it's an accomplishment for eight-year-olds to just get a night of sleep in this city. And that's not to mention the, the parents who have to look after them or the helpers who have to look after them. And as if it wasn't bad enough before, this whole COVID thing has made it so many schools now are like, oh, typhoon days? of the past. You don't get a break when there's a T8. You can just log in online. 
and keep learning. It's insane. Our city is obsessed with work for everyone. Work is at the center of our lives. And so today we're going to look at what Proverbs has to teach us about our work. And what we're going to see is that work is good, it's broken, and it's being redeemed. It is good, it is broken, and it's being redeemed. And we're going to look at God's design for work. We're going to look at what went wrong and then how to get back. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you speak to us and you teach us how to live in the world that you've created. Thank you for your word and for giving it to us and just giving us access to this treasure trove of wisdom about how you call us to live in your world. And I pray that you would give us attentive ears and hearts to hear what you have to say to us today and respond to you in a way that honors you. And in Jesus' name, amen. So first up, we have God's design for work. You know, in our world, we tend to associate work with something that earns a paycheck. So my wife is a stay-at-home mom. She occasionally has people come up and ask, are you going to go back to work sometime? Because in many people's eyes, stay-at-home moms don't get a paycheck. That's not real work. But biblically, hopefully the things we do to earn paychecks are real work. But biblically, the idea of work is bigger than just that. And Proverbs actually uses a variety of Hebrew words to refer to work, and those words cover a wide range of meanings. So one of those words means being industrious. So work is making carefully calculated choices and actions that succeed, which gives you some level of control over your circumstances in life. So work could be going to work, earning a paycheck, saving money, and setting it aside in the bank so that you have money for a rainy day. So that if you lose your job or something goes wrong, you're not just out on the streets. That's being industrious. But it could also be studying. So when you go in to take an exam, you have some level of control over the outcome of that exam. You can do well on it because you've studied and prepared. That's work. Another word that Proverbs uses for work means to put a lot of energy and intensity into a task. So like I said, many people in our world, they don't necessarily look at being a stay-at-home mom as real work or being a stay-at-home dad. Stay-at-home parents aren't seen as really working by many people in our world, but that's a task that requires tons of energy and intensity. In God's eyes, being a stay-at-home parent is real work no matter what your friends and neighbors say. Another word that Proverbs uses to refer to work is to make or do something. So if your family needs a new shelf in your house and you go to Ikea and you buy a shelf and you bring home this box and you have to spend the entire evening assembling the shelf that's inside that box from Ikea, that's work. You're making or, or doing or building something. And so biblically, work is not first and foremost about whether you're getting a paycheck. It's about faithfulness. Are you being faithful and diligent in doing the things God has given you to do at this point in your life in a way that honors him? That's the key question. Are you being faithful and diligent in doing the things God has given you to do at this point in your life in a way that honors him? And if so, that probably falls under the category of what Proverbs would call work. So as we talk about work today, this is for everyone, not just people who go somewhere and earn a paycheck. It's for everyone. And as we see in the book of Proverbs chapter 8 in the scripture reading today, God is a God who works. Proverbs 8 says that he did the work of making the world. 
That's a big, big task, huh? Proverbs 16.11, which we looked at today, says, God designed the system of weights that we use for measuring and, and doing business so that there can be justice in our buying and selling. Creating a just system of weights is part of God's work. God is a God who works. That's actually the first thing we're told about God in the Bible. Think about the, the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He worked. He made something. That's the first thing we're told about God. And one of the first things we're told about humanity in the Bible is that humanity is created in God's image to be like him. Now think about this. If God works, and that's one of the first things we're told about God, that he works, and one of the first things we're told about humanity is that we are created in his image to be like him, then one of the most basic things about what it means to be a human being is that we are made to work. You ever realized that before? God made us to work. He didn't make us to be slaves to work. He built in rest and rhythms of rest into that but he expects us to work, all of us, men, women, children, even retired people, which actually isn't a biblical category, but even retired people are made to work. That doesn't necessarily mean we're working for a paycheck, but it means we're doing the things that God has entrusted to us at this time, whether that's homemaking or studying, volunteering, serving in ministry, going to the office each day to get that paycheck, whatever faithfulness looks like for us where we are, that's the work that God has created us to do. We're not just sitting on the couch all day trying to make it past the next level of call of duty. God has things that he's entrusted to us to do. And so you know what that means? At the most fundamental level, work is not bad. It's good. At the most fundamental level, work is good. It's something God gave us as a good gift before sin entered the world and messed everything up. And yes, our experience of work in our world today is different because we live in a broken world full of broken people, including ourselves. So we often experience work as drudgery and futility and frustration. But all those things are the result of work going wrong, not the fact that work itself is bad. Work is good, but broken, but still good. Work is good. It's a good gift given to us by God because he knows the joy of working because he is a God who works. And God uses our work to accomplish some very important things in the world. That's part of his design for work. There are two big things we see in Proverbs that God accomplishes through our work. First, God uses our work as the natural means by which he provides for our physical needs. Our work is the primary normal way that God provides for our physical needs. So in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4, it tells us a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs carries this expectation that as a general rule for life, with, with exceptions, but as a general rule, if you work hard and diligently and skillfully, you're going to do well financially. Did you know that? Like if you look through Proverbs, this may surprise you, Proverbs has a very positive view of money overall, assuming that money is earned in proper and right ways. It sees money and having money as 
not a bad thing, but a blessing from God. And it sees hard work as the primary path to getting that money. If you look at Proverbs chapter 28, verse 19, it says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. That word plenty, it means having your physical needs met to abundance or excess. God uses our work to provide for us so we can have all the things we need to live physically prosperous lives on this earth. Have you ever realized that before? It's so basic, but it's so important and essential. God uses our work to provide for us. So that's the first thing God uses our work for. Second, God uses our work as the natural means by which he provides for others. Like, yeah, there were those 40 years in the desert where Israel was wandering around and it just rained bread from heaven every morning. That was great. Everyone was provided for. Their clothes didn't wear out. But that's not the way things normally work in the world. Like normally, for there to be food on your plate, someone has to go out and, and plow the soil and plant some seeds and water those seeds and keep away the pests and keep away the weeds and go out a few months later and harvest what they've planted and then store it and package it and transport it to somewhere where you can get access to it. It takes a lot of work to put food on the table for seven billion people around the world. And that's just food. And then we have to have clothing and shelter. It is a ton of work to just keep everyone alive. That, that work of keeping just one individual clothed and sheltered and fed, it's far too much work for any one individual to do. It's probably even far too much for a family to do. If you think about even just like, oh yeah, we can go out and, and farm and grow stuff, but where are you getting the tools to do that? Do you have the skills to make those tools? Oh, we can sew our own clothes, but can you build the sewing machine that's going to make those clothes for you? It's a lot of work. An individual can't do it on their own. A family would really struggle to do it on their own. But if you have a larger group of people, they're able to specialize their skills so they can each do specific things that benefit one another. And, and God designed the world to work this way, where our work provides for other people around us and meets their needs. And where do we see this in today's passages? Well, if you look at chapter 16, verse 11, it says, a just balance and scales are the Lord's. Now, a balance and scales, they're what you'd use to measure the weight of goods in a business transaction. It's talking about work and commerce here. Selling the things we produce, buying the things that other people produce. And this word just, a just balance, the word just means giving people their rights. The idea is that each of us produces work that's worth something. And then we come and exchange the various things we've produced with one another. So the fisherman who spent his full day fishing and doesn't have time to, to make blankets for himself can have a warm blanket to sleep under. And the seamstress who spent her whole day making blankets and doesn't have time to get food for herself can exchange the blankets she made for fish to eat so that everyone can work on their specialty, but be provided for by other people working on their specialties. And when we make these exchanges, God wants to do it in a way that's fair and that correctly values the other person's work. But you don't have to worry about this type of commercial intera interaction unless there's this expectation that the work I do is going to end up in other people's hands for their benefit. So God has us work, not just so we can get money, 
not just so we can provide for ourselves, but that through us, we can provide goods and services that other people need as well. Our work is not only for ourselves, it's also for the sake of blessing others. That's why Proverbs 18 verse 9 says, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Because whoever is slack in his work is cheating not only himself, but also the people around him. He's not creating the goods and the services that they need from him or her. They're shortchanging the community, starting first and foremost with their employer who's writing their paycheck, by not doing the work that the community deserves from them. So this is God's original design for work. God calls us to work because he works. Work is a good gift from God that he gives to us because he loves us. He uses work to provide for us and to provide for others through us. And if it stopped there, wouldn't the world be a great place? If we all experience work as a blessing every day and all the work we did was fairly valued and we were able to get what we deserved for our work and other people were able to be blessed through our work and we were able to be blessed through their work, wouldn't it be wonderful? That's how it's supposed to work. But again, as we've all experienced far too often, that's not what we experience when we work. And that's because something has gone wrong. So let's look next at what has gone wrong with work. Now, obviously, living in the world we live in, we've all experienced work gone wrong. Whether that's you've just folded your nice clean laundry, you've folded it, you've got it stacked and ready to put away, and your toddler just comes up and yanks it all down. You have to fold it all over again. Or maybe your boss comes to you and says, we have this new project. I need you to set aside everything else you're doing. Work on this. And after you've been working on it for a week, he comes up and he's like, yeah, we're scrapping that project. All the work you've just done this past week, forget about it, throw it out. You want to rip your hair out because you're like, why did I waste an entire week of my life doing something that's going to end up in the garbage? Or students, when, have you ever had this experience where you show up for an exam and you're feeling all prepared and you sit down and you look at the test paper and you're like, shoot, I studied the wrong thing. We've all experienced work gone wrong. Maybe you've experienced it in other ways, but we've all experienced it. And there are so many reasons work goes wrong in our world. But Proverbs, it really, really zeroes in on two of these reasons. So there are more, but we're going to focus on these two today because they're the two that Proverbs really focuses on. And the first thing Proverbs focuses on as a reason work goes wrong is laziness. If you look at the verses that we had read today, it's all over the place and it shows up even more places in the rest of Proverbs. So chapter 10, verse 4, a slack hand causes poverty. Chapter 12, verse 24, says the slothful will be put to forced labor. Chapter 18, verse 9, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Living in our world today, we know about laziness. Like, we're the generation of grown men living in their parents' basements so that they don't have to get a job. Maybe that's more an American thing than a Hong Kong thing, but it's still, in our world today, a, a huge phenomenon of people who just don't want to take responsibility, don't want to grow up, don't want to have to work. But apparently, this is good news, apparently, laziness did not originate with our generation. Apparently, it's been an issue all along for humanity. And Proverbs says, again and again, that laziness is not good. It warns against laziness because it causes all sorts of problems. 
And it warns us about it again and again and again because we all have a natural built-in tendency towards laziness. Laziness, it, it cuts out God's normal means of providing for us. It cuts out God's normal means of providing for the people around us, through us. Laziness that, that gets in the way of us working or doing a job well is work gone wrong. So that's the first thing. The second thing Proverbs focuses on as the reason work goes wrong is injustice. Chapter 11, verse one says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. A false balance is unjust. It's, it's saying that others owe you more for what you've made than what they really owe you. It's robbing others. It's cheating them out of a fair deal. There are other verses in Proverbs that talk about how the poor man would have plenty if his work wasn't just taken away from him through injustice. And why is injustice and theft so bad? That's hopefully semi-self-explanatory and rhetorical of a question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. It's bad because we all have this built-in tendency to want to get more for our work than we truly deserve. And so when we act unjustly, we, we're trying to cheat others so that we can get something more without actually having to work for it. And when we do that, again, it shortcuts God's natural means of providing for us and of providing for others through us. It actually cheats and shortchanges the people around us that we're supposed to be providing for through our work. Instead of benefiting them, we're hurting them. It's, it's an inversion of the way that the world is designed to work. And with injustice, God's, God's hatred of it actually goes a step deeper because did you see Proverbs chapter 16, verse 11? It says, a just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. The standard weights and measures that make it possible to have just and fair and proper and right business practices are God's work. So if we change those standard weights and measures, we're actually actively undoing God's work. We're working against God. And I realize many of us probably don't use scales that much in our jobs, but there are modern day equivalents. What are the ways that we are tempted to cheat the system so we can get more than we truly deserve? Maybe it's lying on our timesheet at the office, telling our boss or our clients that we did more work than we actually did, so they pay us for stuff we didn't do. Maybe it's going to make an investor pitch and lying about the numbers so that people will be more inclined to invest in our company even though we don't actually deserve their investment. Maybe it's going in for an exam and copying someone else's answers so that we can get the grade they worked for, not the grade that we worked for. Regardless of how we do it, if we change the standards so we can cheat the system, we're actively undoing God's work and working against God. We're tearing down what God has built up. No wonder it's an abomination to God, something that he hates and wants nothing to do with. And some of these things are small things. We may see them as no big deal, just little white lies. We may justify what we're doing by saying it's such a small thing that no one's going to notice, no one's going to care. But when we're acting unjustly, we're acting contrary to God's character. We're acting in ways that are dangerous to the cosmic and social order. Because these things aren't just little white lies. They're things that if they become widespread enough, and if they go on unchecked, they can unravel the foundation society needs to operate smoothly because they're working to actively undo the stability God has designed for the world. 
And at first glance, laziness and injustice, they may seem actually quite different. One's about avoiding work. The other is about doing extra work to figure out how to cheat the system. But on a deeper level, they're actually both connected to one another. Both of them are rooted in this idea that I deserve to get something for nothing. Or at least I deserve to get a greater return for my effort than justice would say I truly deserve. Both of them operate on this underlying assumption that I understand the world better than God does. Both of them carry this belief that me getting what I want is more important than the people around me getting what they deserve. And both of them go against God's plan for work. And my guess is that on some level, all of us have been guilty of both of these things at some point on some level in our lives. I mean, I've listed out some examples of what that could look like, and one or more of those examples may apply to many of us. But even if these specific examples don't apply to you, I'm sure each of us can think of times where we were lazy, where we didn't faithfully do the things that God had called us to do in that time, in that place. I'm sure each of us has acted in ways that are unjust, where we've cheated someone else out of what they rightfully deserved so we could get ahead ourselves. And isn't that the real problem when we look at what's gone wrong with work? That we're guilty of these things too? You know, if the problem was just out there in other people, then we could stand back and and be separated from it and have a right to complain about how terrible it is and and just feel self-righteous. But if we're part of the problem too, then we need to take responsibility for the problem on some level. It's not just out there, it's in us as well. And it's way easier to see these things when they're happening in other people. It's way easier to see laziness when there's that person in work who's just constantly late on handing in their assignments. It's way easier to see laziness when we've told our kids for the 12th time to do your homework or clean your room and they still haven't done it. It's way harder to see it in our own selves. But if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit the problem, it's not just out there in everyone else. It's in us too. Yes, on one level, we are the victims of the brokenness of the workplace and the laziness of others and the injustice of others. But on another level, we're part of the problem. Our laziness, our injustice is part of the reason that others experience the system as broken. And if we're part of the problem, the solution has to be bigger than us and outside of us. If we are part of the problem, the solution has to be bigger than us and outside of us. So what's the solution? How do we get back to a proper perspective on work and a right experience of work? Let's look at that. How do we get back? And to answer that, I want to look back at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. This word righteous here, it means someone who lives in line with a proper standard. Someone who lives in line with a proper standard. In this case, the standard is God's covenant, God's law. It's perfection. So we could read this as saying, the, perf- the Lord does not let the perfect one go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. And again, we've just recognized none of us are perfect. None of us deserve to fall into this category of the righteous. We all have times where we're lazy. We all have times where we try to cheat the system and work in ways that are unjust. Like, yes, we would love to be the righteous one who doesn't go hungry, but far too often we qualify as the wicked who have their cravings thwarted. 
right? And it's our own action and behavior that's gotten us here. We can't fix ourselves. And so we need a way to get from where we are now to the place where we are the righteous, where we're able to experience the blessing of God in and through our work. And what is that way? We didn't have this verse read in our reading today, but Proverbs chapter 11, verse 21. It says, Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Now, wait a second, Eric. You were just saying, none of us is righteous. Does that mean our kids are all in trouble too? Well, it should. It should mean that. But on another level, this verse and the truth in this verse is the only hope that we and our kids have the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Because none of us is righteous. None of us has lived perfectly according to God's standard, but there's one who did. Jesus came to earth. He was the perfectly righteous one, the the only one who lived his entire life completely in alignment with God's law, completely according to God's standard. And Jesus was killed like an evil person but he rose again in victory over death, a victory that proved he was truly righteous all along. And since Jesus, who did no wrong, who deserved the blessings, was punished as one who did wrong, the way has been opened for us who do lots of wrong to experience the blessings and abundance of the one who did no wrong. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 11 puts the reality of what Jesus did in this way. It says, Jesus will make many to be accounted righteous. Now, what does that mean? It means that us getting back to where we need to be, to be under this category of righteous, where we receive God's blessing in our work, it's not about us fixing ourselves. It's not about us pulling ourselves together. It's about us getting credit for what Jesus did for us. It's about us having Jesus' perfection and righteousness accounted to us as our own. It's like a bank transfer. Everything he has is moved from his account into ours so that it now shows up under our account. So when God looks at us, he sees us as perfect and righteous, not because we earned it, but because Jesus earned it for us. And the Bible tells us that when we trust in Jesus, when we receive this gift of righteousness, that God adopts us into his family as his children. We become God's offspring. So with that in mind, look at Proverbs eleven twenty one 21 with me again. The offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Now, the ultimate righteous one is Jesus. His offspring are those who believe in him. That's, that's Christians. That's us, which means through Jesus, we have hope for the future. We have hope that the end of the story for us when it comes to work is deliverance from the futility of work. The hope that one day we can live in a world where we don't just experience work as drudgery, as as meaningless, as futile, but rather we get to experience work as everything it was ever meant to be. And when we learn to live with that hope, we can experience small glimpses of it in our work today. Yeah, we still live and work in a broken world. We're still going to have that struggle. But we can see glimpses of that future hope. So, for example, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, says, Commit your plan- work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, this, this verse is not saying just pray for it and it's all going to work out okay. But this word commit, it actually comes from the Hebrew word that means to roll a stone. 
The, the idea is that actions have consequences. If you're at the top of a hill and you have a stone and you push the stone down the hill, it's going to start rolling and it's going to have consequences. And often with rolling stones down hills, those are quite bad consequences. But other things have good consequences. So if you take the step of aligning yourself with God and his will for your work, and you intentionally maintain that alignment each step of the way, that also has consequences, and they are very positive consequences. As a general rule, when you align your work with God's will and you commit your way to him, God will establish your work and make it succeed. Again, that's not to say pray a prayer and God will make you a billionaire. That's to say, each step of the way, stay connected to him. Make honoring him your first priority. And he works alongside of you to make what you're doing succeed. Yes, we, we still, again, often experience work as drudgery and difficulty. But when we align our ways with God, he often brings success. So we can see glimpses of the fact that he has something better for us in eternity and better for our work. There's a day coming where we will be truly productive without all that drudgery. One more passage that just gives us a glimpse of this future hope for work comes from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. God has designed the world in such a way that as a general rule, those who do their work really well get recognized. Like, yeah, it, it takes lots of time and effort and repetition and practice to reach that level of great skill. And that practice and work, it's going to be tough. You know, in the book Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell discusses how for most people to become an expert at something takes 10,000 hours of practice. That's a long time. But what we see in this verse is when we stick with something, when we keep putting in the effort to excel at the work God has entrusted us with, it generally leads to recognition, not only with God, but with the people around us, with important people around us. You know, I, I love sports. The basketball championship just finished this week. My team was in it, but we lost. But those guys, to win the championship, they have to put in so many hours of work. And you know what happens when they win the championship? They get invited to the White House to meet the president. It's like this verse in practice, right? Like they did their jobs very well. Unfortunately, just a little bit better than my team. But they did their jobs very well. And now they get an invitation to the White House to meet the president. They did their job skillfully. And now they're being, standing before, we don't have kings in the US, but the president. When we stick with something, when we keep putting in the effort at the work God has entrusted us to, it's gonna lead to recognition, not only with God, with the people around us. Again, this is not a guarantee. This is not a promise. It's a general way work, life works most of the time. But even those small moments where it does work right, they can encourage us because they remind us a day is coming when it's always going to work the way it should. When, when we're always going to be recognized that our good day's work will be recognized for the good day's work that it is. And not only by humans around us, but by God himself. So church, work is a good gift from God. He is a God who works. He made us in his image, which means that he made us to join him in his work. And his plan is that through our work, he'll provide for us and provide for others through us, but work has gone wrong. 
laziness and injustice. They take the good gift of work and turn it into drudgery and misery so much of the time. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus has come to rescue us. And so because of that, all who trust in him will one day be able to experience the full goodness of work as it's supposed to be. And yeah, we still live in a broken world now. We still experience all the difficulties of work far too often. But when we do our work in ways that are faithful to God, he gives us glimpses even today of the promise and the glory and the joy that's coming for our work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of work. Thank you for the fact that you are a God who works, that you work for us, for our good, that we have the privilege and the benefit of of gaining through your work. We pray that you would help us to have a right perspective on our work this week, that we would work in a way that's a blessing to others, not a burden to them, that you would use our work to provide for our families and for the people around us, and that we would have this perspective that allows us to see just glimpses each day of the hope for what work will be one day. Let us live with that hope and trust in you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.